0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the director, writer, and producer for Dreamin' Wild, Bill Pullman. Bye, Dad. Hi, buddy. Love you, Dad. Hey, Nance. Where's the band? They built. Seriously? Trying to run a business here. Also, the bank called.
1: Hey, brother. Joe? I got something to tell you. Dad got a call yesterday from a guy at a record company. He says he heard our record and, uh... Our
0: record? What do you mean?
1: Dreamin' Wild. Great to
0: meet you. Yeah. Wanted to talk to you about this.
1: There it is, it's Dreamin' Wild. That you guys? Yeah, that's us. This album is unbelievable, truly.
0: It really just blew my mind. How did you do it?
1: Donnie made it
0: all right here. Donnie, what you got going on over there? I just playing around. Donnie's a genius,
1: truthfully. And then what happened?
0: We're gonna need some more money to get these last few songs finished.
1: My dad lost a lot. We find albums that
0: never found an audience. We try to give them a second chance. And based on all the buzz the record has got, you've seen that, right? During its finest moments, to twist a Brian Wilson phrase, dreaming wild is a godlike symphony to teenhood. Brian Wilson. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, heck, let's celebrate.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am being joined here by the director, writer, producer for the new film Dreamin' Wild, Bill Polad. Bill, how are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: Good. I'm really well, thank you. I'm, you know, really excited for this time for films. Uh, You know, the Venice Film Festival is right around the corner. That's where your film Dreamin' Wild had its world premiere last year. So... Tell us, first of all, just about, like, the journey of coming off of Love and Mercy, going over to Dream and Wild. It's Venice premiere last year, now a year later. It's now playing in limited release. Like, talk to me about the length, the journey, the process of how long it takes for a film to finally see the light of day.
1: Well, I mean, if you include everything, you know, okay. it's a long time. Yeah. Why is it so long? Um... I guess it's, you know, mostly due to my personal connection with material. In other words, uh, like right after love and mercy, we were, I was working on another project with Orrin Moverman, um, uh, kind of a non musical music related film, um, actually one about Walt Whitman. Um, and so we worked on that uh, a while, a long time um and then jim burke who's a producer friend friend of mine came and pitched this story about these two young musicians um in fruitland washington who recorded the album and then they you know you know wasn't successful and they had this story of a comeback um a second chance i guess um and I really didn't want to do it because it sounded like a lot like searching for Sugarman, wow. uh, which is a documentary I had, you know, seen before and, you know, it kind of felt like they did a great job on that documentary and that they told the story, so to speak. So I, I said, no, I don't like to do things, um, you know, again, or whatever remakes or something like that. That's what it seemed like. But Jim urged me to read the full, uh, article um by stephen Kuritz, um and then i did and it was intriguing um and then he urged me to listen to the music which i did and obviously baby and and that whole song that whole album kind of drew me in certainly but it really wasn't until uh i met donnie and joe Mm -hmm. the real people um that i was kind of captivated by them Uh, by meeting them Uh, because again it wasn't so much the music uh, and the story of you know second chances it was really about them personally that really intrigued me or really connected with me and in that way I could separate it from the usual stories or whatever not usual stories but searching for sugar man kind of um episodes so I agreed to do it and in fact agreed to write it because at that point I had met Donnie and Joe and you know we were going to talk about hiring writers and bringing somebody in but it just felt you know my personal connection with them felt so good and so strong that I really figured that I should do it or like I would best the project would be best be served by me doing it sure. but that precipitated the obviously the whole rewriting process which then you know gets you into that place of uh, it was actually my family was moving to Paris about that same time and that's where I started working on uh the script so it took me a little longer I I would guess than usual because it's real people you really want to get to know them and be connected with them before you start writing um and uh so you know it did that but again that explains somewhat the time lag in between the two projects cuz uh, you know, ideally i would have been working on the Walt Whitman project and maybe had it come together a little sooner mm-hmm. um but, you know my focus shifted to a dream and wild and then that extended the time
0: sure you also produced a c- couple of projects in between too so <laughs>
1: yeah yeah but i mean you know when i'm committed or passionate and connected with the project you know that's kind of it's at the forefront of my mind obviously when I'm writing and all that uh, mm-hmm. you know clearly there were other things going on but you know that's what I was most concentrating on um mm-hmm. and we got the script together and then started trying to package it and you know that takes some time too as yeah. with all projects so uh, you know people do kind of go where does that you know how come it takes so long and where does that time go yeah. it really is all those elements and, and ultimately when you we started focusing down on Casey for example we had to work with well also we had to work with covid you know yeah. kind of getting further out of covid in order to do the project and then with Casey and kind of the back and forth of that process um so it all takes time. Was Casey hesitant about coming aboard the project? Not not really. No, I mean, he was positive. But obviously, like anybody else, he wants to get to know the story and get to know Donnie when he's going to do it. And, you know, while I had Love and Mercy to kind of look back on and he had that um you know you still want to make sure that you're on the same page so to speak Mm -hmm. Um, and that he ultimately went and visited Donnie uh in spokane and and spent just a couple days with him but you know that all that takes time for like casey to be comfortable enough to take on the project and then ultimately things we were doing with you know, massaging the script and all that. Um, Yeah. So, Did any of the
0: uh, musical elements give Casey some pause or did he just trust you to figure it out, how that was all going to play out on screen?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as I said, uh, you know, Casey isn't very musical. um, (laughs) And he admitted that right up front, but he was game to do it. Uh, But clearly we would have to kind of work with what he he brought to the table which Mm -hmm. and uh you know is a challenge in the so we ended up having donnie the real donnie and nancy and and his band kind of re-record some of the songs so that it would work for the movie um so that's kind of you know again all these things take time
0: yeah and donnie nancy joe that they're all involved uh, in the movie can you tell me a little bit about behind the scenes the impact that they had on you through the making of this project were there days where they were on set when you were shooting
1: well i mean yeah well different for everybody mm-hmm. different different people i mean joe personally is is an amazing guy whatever you see on the screen he's even better than that because oh, wow. uh, he's you know very generous very kind of uh you know takes care of people so to speak and and caretaker um and you know he was around all the time but he wasn't kind of looking over my shoulder or saying oh you you know you didn't get that right or you don't look (laughs) like that or something like that you know he Mm -hmm. didn't kind of he was very good about it so positive Mm -hmm. um donnie was a little different i mean Donnie and Nancy, during the shooting, I think Donnie actually was overwhelmed by the process by having Casey or whatever, anybody play him. And, you know, it's a little different. Um, So he was kind of not around very much at all during the the shooting. I think he was afraid. Uh, Honestly, he did uh, kind of struggle with COVID and various other things. So he wasn't around as much, but the family was around. I mean, Don senior and Selena, um, you know, we shot on the farm and so, you know, they had the opportunity to be around all the time, but that is another part of their personalities and their character Mm -hmm. that I'm just amazed amazed by. Like, as I've said before, they're kind of the same people before I met them, and through the process, they never changed. And at the end of the process, they're the same people now as I met originally, which I think is extraordinary. You know, yeah. Uh, so,
0: I love that you dive deep into your characters in your films, and here it feels like the actors had a lot of room to breathe with being able to bring those characters to life. Were you afforded any? Rehearsal time. Uh, how how did you uh prep with the actors to get them invested into these characters?
1: Yeah, well, we we I mean, we did a reading when they all first arrived. Um, but I really don't put a lot of sock in those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, honestly, actually it did help like Walton, for example. He was who was Walton expressed to me when we first met that he really understood these characters and he did you know Mm -hmm. kind of grew up with that kind of character um and so he was great in that way but as far as fine tuning Joe like he you know the the reading wasn't as good as what he ended up being and that I really did I sent him out to meet with Joe um and he know whatever he he would came back from that just with a totally different perspective because i mean i think these guys really are extraordinary and so it takes meeting them you can't just say oh well they of course that's uh whatever the brother or whatever you just assume things about them but they were you know so they were great in that respect i mean zoe on the other hand didn't really care or didn't really want to meet uh Nancy, which I think is just different approaches to different characters and, and mm-hmm. different actors. I respect that too. So um and she did a great job, but you know, she didn't have a lot of contact with Nancy beforehand. Sure, sure. Hello, this is Gary Shahot, welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.
0: I noticed that, like you were saying before, Casey Affleck may not be necessarily the most musically inclined, but for the character of Joe, it kind of calls for Walton Goggins to not be necessarily so perfect how much of that is Walton just being true to life? Like I'm doing the best that I can here. I'm trying to keep up or how much of that is Walton actually can carry a tune and he's having to act like he can't.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, a little of both. I mean, clearly Walton was more of a kind of musical guy than Casey. Mm-hmm. Uh He like studied with, I believe Tommy Stinson, uh, like in his, uh, out in the East and and kind of knew Tommy Stinson you know the replacements drummer um so he uh did you know did his due diligence so to speak on on learning the drums but then he had to pull it back a little bit you know and act like he didn't know yeah Um, so it you know I think that's all him the good and the bad so to speak
0: (laughs) of course uh the two kids though Uh, Noah Jupe and Jack Dylan Grazer, they're both really phenomenal in these flashback sequences. Noah Jupe especially that kid has just got so much charisma. I can tell watching him that he knows what he's doing, musically speaking. Yeah. Um, Uh So how did you come across them? Was it just simply through auditioning a bunch of kids or were they recommended to you? How did that work?
1: No, actually uh, I mean, both again, both. I mean, uh, I had my eye on Noah from the very beginning Mm -hmm. um I I believed he was musical uh, and you know he ultimately was I mean you asked about rehearsals and stuff we did the basically the most rehearsals we did were for the music I mean we we you know rented out the Bing theater in Spokane and just set up you know guitars and drums there and had everybody play together um and J- Jack and Noah really developed a bond and a love of music through the pro that process and actually they're they now play together um on an ongoing basis um they wanted wanted to start a band I don't know how that's going <laughs> given their other careers but you know that they really fell in love with each other and with the the business or music so.
0: Well, we'll we'll have to follow up with both of them and see if they have an EP coming out anytime soon. (laughs) Well, we did
1: actually talk about doing some recording with Donnie and Noah and Jack. Um, So we're really going to do that again. Schedules sometimes get messed up. They're going to meet in the uh, L.A. studio and do some recording. Whether they actually do, we'll see. But
0: really cool, though. Regardless, speaking of music. You do Love and Mercy. Like you said before, you were a little hesitant about jumping directly back into another musical-based film. But now that you have, is this a kind of a reoccurring theme you feel like with your work, something that you want to continue doing down the road? Or are you at a point where you're like, you know what? I've explored everything I need to explore within that world. I'm going to move on to something else.
1: Uh, Well, a little of both in, in the sense um, I love music and every opportunity I can I want to channel what I'm doing through music, but I don't want to get, like, stale, so to speak, mm-hmm. and do the same thing over and over. Um, coincidentally, the next project, I, I feel like is it is it is related to music. It's about <laughs> a musician, but it's really a love story. And it, it not that it doesn't focus at all on music, but that's not the primary thing. Like with Love and Mercy, you know, I was uh, with sorry, with Dream and Wild, I was more interested in the people and the interactions with the characters. Mm -hmm. And I the the love story between the brothers in this other in this new hopeful project. um, It's, you know, a real romantic love story between two people and, and music is clearly a part of it, but it's not the focus.
0: Any uh, previous films that you look to for reference for something like that? Or do you just feel like you have it like ingrained in you, like, you know, instinctually how to go through a story like that?
1: Uh, Well, you're always drawing in other things. Um, Again, uh, certainly with Love and Mercy, I was drawing a lot from documentaries, Mm -hmm. documentaries from the 60s and 70s of uh, like the Rolling Stones and, and Beatles and, you know, kind of suck in all that stuff because i just love it um so that was my primary inspiration there but with uh yeah with uh, i guess given that uh and wild is more about the relationships mm-hmm. not that i didn't do that as much on that you, you know generally i'm drawing on my knowledge and in, in, you know and my love of music um for those things but um uh yeah i'm trying to think if there's one particular inspiration on dream and wild but
0: maybe it's a little bit of a bunch of things from life you yeah. know cobbled yeah. together if you
1: will yeah yeah for sure um the new the new one uh, and i'm just you know giving i know hints that aren't <laughs> exactly but we're, you know we're
0: not expecting I, you to spill the beans here it's all good
1: <laughs> yeah well but you know i've always wanted like a movie like breakfast at Tiffany's or whatever that kind of accessible love story but in this case it's kind of applied to a more serious musician you know it doesn't have quite that lightness Mm -hmm. but so
2: okay
0: well
1: I'm interested in
0: very excited to uh see it regardless whenever it may be hopefully it doesn't take necessarily as much time in between as yeah. it did with uh love and mercy and dreaming wild so yeah i mean
1: obviously we can't say anything about the strike
0: uh, of course yeah no i mean you know hopefully things can you know better uh situations in place and you know people can uh get started again um, yeah I mean,
1: you know that there's there's Uh, things to be done I mean things Mm -hmm. to fix in the agreements and there's no question about that it is frustrating for all of us but uh, I'm sure for the actors and the writers as well so
0: yeah no absolutely Uh, and then last question I have for you being that like I said before there was a gap between Love and Mercy, Dreamin' Wild. Now when you look back on Dreamin' and Wild, and it's obviously been done from a production standpoint for quite a while now, um, it's now out in the world. What is the one big learn or takeaway, if you will, that you have from that whole experience that you're going to carry with you on to the next project?
1: Uh, don't take so much time in between the two. I mean, I'm <laughs> kidding. But I, I just, yeah, I do think but for my benefit as well as the world, so to speak, mm-hmm. it would have been a lot better us shooting it earlier for a variety of reasons. I mean, very micro reasons, like the weather, like, you know, it turned on us and, you know, uh, the world. I, in other words, I would have liked to have had, uh, you know, Dream and Wild come out maybe a couple of years ago or whatever, when people were a little more into uh taking chances on movies there were more they're going to movies more um so you just from that standpoint you wish you know it's a little tougher now in today's environment not only because of the strikes but also because of covid and trying to you know come back to the theaters so to speak yeah it would have been nice not to have to fight those things um
0: Well, I hear all the time filmmakers are always talking to me about how difficult financing is to get small stories up on the screen and they're having to resort to so many different places to get financing or go into one of the streamers, whatever it ends up being like in your particular case here. I understand that you probably want to keep telling like these types of stories. So when you say it's tougher, do you see it still being possible? like in the future, or is it going to just keep dwindling, do you think, for making it
1: harder? No, I obviously, I wouldn't be here unless I believed that it was going to come back. Mm -hmm. That there was actually going to be a life for, a theatrical life for, you know, dramas or whatever, smaller films. Um, uh, So I believe that, but it's going to take a while. We've got to get over, obviously, not only the strikes, but just get people back to the theaters and Mm-hmm. have some more films in between, so to speak, Barbie and Oppenheimer, like, you know, to fill in that middle section. So mm-hmm. it's like the kind of middle class thing. You you want, you know, you don't want to all be about the kind of rich, whatever, the Barbie um you know films. Yeah. We can't have all Barbies or Marvels. either either so you need something for everyone yeah exactly and but uh, i mean it does take developing the audience back to who are willing and excited to see smaller films um hopefully still exciting films but smaller films
0: yeah well Something that we're really big on here, definitely, too, the theatrical experience, and hopefully people definitely take a chance on smaller films such as yours and others to come as well. Uh, Bill, really appreciate you giving us the time here today, and best of luck with everything.
1: Thank you very much. Nice All to right. be here.
0: Take care. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer, director, and producer for Dreamin' Wild, Bill Polad, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Dreamin' Wild is now currently playing in theaters from Roadside Attractions. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts.